Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 19. We're just going to read that one verse as we begin this morning. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's a wonderful word of, of instruction and wisdom from the Lord. Every man be slow, uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We're going to talk this morning about the need, the great need from on high, from God, for, for great wisdom in our speech, for restraint in how we speak and how we answer, especially when we answer the Lord. Especially when we answer the Lord. We're living in a day and age there's no shortage for words. Amen. I don't know how many TV channels there are and podcasts and everything else. There's no, um, it's 24-7, these, these stations on the TV. When I was growing up, uh, getting a little old school here, but I remember watching the TV go off at night. We'd stay up till the TV went off and then it would go to a, you know, maybe they'd play the national anthem or something like that. And, and it was this, the screen would go off and you're just left with the little snowflakes on the, on the screen. But now there's 24 seven, uh, no shortage for words and opinions and people's uh, thoughts and so forth that are going on. But the Bible says, let every man be slow to speak. Amen. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And we're going to talk about the great need for God's holy wisdom and restraint self-governing by the governing of the Holy Spirit, self-discipline in our speech and in our words. Uh, I'm going to give a lot of scripture, some we'll turn to and read, but there's a Proverbs. Solomon talks a lot about this in the Proverbs. The Word of God does. He says, my son, if, if you are surety for a friend or if you have smitten your hands with a stranger, uh, he says, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. We can sometimes speak so hastily that we don't think. I've titled this message to think before we speak. Think before we speak. Now we all know that. People that aren't Christians know that they should do that. But it's really uh, prominent in the Word of God. It's very necessary that we think before we speak. That we have wisdom. That we have self-control from the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.11, A fool uttereth his mind. All of his mind. Okay? But we got people, we must have a lot of fools in our day and age because there are people on talk shows and everything. Uh, some you may agree with, some you don't. But when the more you talk, you're going to get yourself in trouble. There's great wisdom in that to be uh, swift to hear what's going on, slow to speak, to weigh your words, to think about what you're going to say. He says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it, in, keepeth it in till afterwards. The wise man, you know what he's going to do? He's going to sit still and, and hear what's going on before he just rushes out says something and picks up a stick and starts swinging. You know what I mean? He's going to hear what's going on and understand the best that he can. Uh, and it's, it's so important, especially, as I said, when we're speaking or answering the Lord, what we're going to say to the Lord, how we're going to respond to Almighty God. Amen? And there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes. I'll just read it. Chapter 5, verse 2. Solomon wrote that as well. Be not rash with thy mouth. 
And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. This would really be our, our, mess, our word for this morning. Don't be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven. And thou art upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. There is great wisdom. It's not saying we should never speak. It's not saying we should never laugh and sing and, and let things come out of our mouth. We should. But the whole idea is that don't be brash. Don't be hasty. Don't just spout off at the mouth, so to speak. We've all done it before. We do it. But it's a sign of great maturity and, and a life that's governed and disciplined by the Holy Ghost. When we're led by the Lord in our speech, in our, in our, in our speaking, in our answers. And I want to really talk this morning. I, uh, the Lord gave me five people in the Bible. You could think of a hundred others, okay? But the Lord gave me five as I was preparing. And, and I want to look at just snapshots of their lives. Five men in the Bible. And how they answered God when God spoke to them. God spoke to them in an audible voice. They heard, heard the Lord. And, and they responded to God. And how did they respond when God... He not only spoke to them, but he questioned them. He demanded something of them. He asked them a question and waited for their answer. Human beings like you and me, God spoke to them and asked them questions and how they responded. I want to begin in Genesis chapter 3. And we all know who this is going to be. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to talk, look at Adam. And I don't have time to really go into the details of every one of these five men, but I, I can give you the background. In Genesis 3, by, by where we're going to pick up reading in verse 6 in just a moment, Adam and Eve had both sinned. The serpent came and beguiled Eve. He deceived her. He tricked her. He used words. And she knew better, but she, instead of obeying the Lord, she, she questioned the Lord. And she listened to the serpent. She ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Her eyes were open. She gave it to Adam. Adam just willfully sinned. They both knew that not to do it. They knew from the Lord not to do it. They knew what would happen if they did do it because God had made that clear, but they both sinned. So right after that, we're going to pick up reading in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. It was it's instantly a, an attempt of man to cover his own sin, his own shame, his own nakedness. They were fine just a few minutes before, right? But now they've sinned. And, and now they're trying and, and grabbing for whatever they can find in their own wisdom and abilities to try to make amends for this somehow, to cover, to make it better somewhat. We know that Jesus had to die to make sin better, that, we, that sinners would be forgiven. Amen. did make sin better. He forgives sinners. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now here's the question. Here's God going to question a man and how he's going to respond. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Where are you, Adam? Where art thou? 
Now, Almighty God, the creator of all things, and Adam's creator, as he asked, asking the first man, and our father in the flesh, so to speak, he's asking him a question immediately after he sinned, where are you? Okay, where are you, Adam? Not just a physical location. We understand there's a real depth to this question. There's a real significance to this question. Not just a physical location, but where are you, Adam? What has happened to you, Adam? What have you done, Adam? Now, God knew the answer. Amen. God knows all things. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the only wise God. He knew the answer. He knew exactly what had happened and where Adam was. But what did he want? He wanted Adam to know where he was. He knew he could go walk right down and find Adam hiding behind this tree over here in the garden somewhere and Eve. He knew what was going on. He's asking that question for a reason. He wanted Adam to understand. He wanted Adam to understand the depth and the significance and the weight of what he had done in that act of disobedience, in that act of rebellion, in that act of personal sin. He wanted to see a sinful condition. It was wonderful what Alberto pointed out in Sunday school this morning from Hosea. And he's talking about this whole beautiful picture of salvation, which it is. And we always want to get right to the, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the restoration, the joy that's unspeakable. And who wouldn't? But in order for me to get there, and it's all freely mine in Christ Jesus by faith, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. That is without question ours to be had. In order for me to get there and really appreciate that, I need to first see where I am, Adam. I need to see the depth of my sin. I need to see how lost I am. How, how miserable and wretched I am. I'm not just a guy that messed up a little bit. And I, and I get... Uh, before I knew Jesus, I didn't think about things like this. But now that I'm saved and learning my Bible and you know learning Christ and walking with the Lord and among other believers and, and coming to know the Lord more, I come to see that more. That it's not just this idea that we all mess up a little bit. And that's what you hear a lot of times. And, and a lot of seeker-friendly churches and a lot of modern-day Christianity is just, uh, yeah, God knows we all mess up a little bit. But Jesus didn't die because we mess up a little bit. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When he died, the, the skies turned black at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or, uh, you know, for, for that period of time. And there was earthquakes and the graves of people that were dead came open and many came alive and appeared to people. He didn't just die because we mess up a little bit. Sin. The wages of sin is death. And so God wants us to know that the, all the, the freedom, the liberty, the, the joy unspeakable and so forth that we have in Christ is ours. But if I'm going to really appreciate it and lay hold on it, it's going to be valuable to me and precious to me. So great salvation, if it's really going to be great salvation to me, I need to see where I was who I was, what I was apart from Christ, where I would be today, and God can show you, by the way, what you would be if it weren't for the mercy of God, where you would be today. 
who you would be today, what you would be today without the goodness of God, without the death of Jesus and his resurrection for our sins. And so he wanted Adam to understand and the whole idea of wanting him to understand, he wanted to see his own sin and his own sinful condition and the bigness of what he had done, for lack of a better word, so that he would turn. The whole idea of wanting him to see, Adam, that fig leaf's not going to do it. That fig leaf's not going to cut it for what you've done. He wanted to see the largeness, the grand, on the grand scale of things of what you have done so that he would turn to God. <clears throat> he would confess to God. He would repent to the Lord and from his sin. And he wanted him to do it in sincerity and he wanted him to do it in contrition of heart. The Bible says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are broken in a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He wanted him to come and turn to God to receive the full pardon, the mercy, the forgiveness, the restoration. Uh, and he would receive it from the same God that he had sinned against. That's what people don't realize. We sin against God, we're afraid of God, and we run and hide behind a fig leaf or in the garden somewhere, that same one we sinned against is a merciful God. If we'll turn back to Him, we're going to receive that forgiveness. I want to just read this. It's come to be a very uh, wonderful Scripture in my heart and mind. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked, wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and He will have mercy upon him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. And there's a period right there. Isn't it wonderful? This God that we've sinned so greatly against, He wants you to see how badly you've sinned against Him. And the reason we sin so badly against the good God is because we're bad. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. There's none that does good. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. We're all like... Uh, the filthy rags. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. He wants us to see that. And not forget it once we're saved and going down. We, we could fall back into that sin at any time. If not for the goodness of God and keeping our eyes on the Lord. But if, if we'll turn to Him, we'll be forgiven. Be careful when answering the Lord. Be careful when responding to the Lord when He questions us. I want to read this again from Ecclesiastes. Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. It's all in light of the Lord. He's in heaven and He's heavenly. And He's uncreated. I'm on the earth. And other than Christ in me, I'm earthly. Okay? Now that we're born again, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But understand the difference and the gap. It is unbridgeable, okay, unspannable other than the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. That has spanned that gap. Let your words be few when you utter anything before the Lord. And so be careful when we answer God. Consider when answering the Lord. Be wise, be of a humble spirit. It's important how we answer the Lord. I remember when, and I've shared my testimony before, but when I was in my, I'd give my life to Christ. I prayed to be a, uh, a sinner's prayer. And I, I meant it when I prayed. I believed the gospel account. 
and so forth, but I had not uh, surrendered fully to the Lord. And my, entering my last semester at LSU in my apartment, and I've shared this many times, but the Lord spoke to me, and I was about as miserable as miserable could be uh, because I was just uh, lukewarm. I was in that in-between state. And the Lord says, I'd rather be hot or cold, and I was lukewarm. And the Lord, after dealing with me about that scripture from Revelation, uh, about being lukewarm, basically put the question to me and says, Lord, Randy, what are you going to do? Here's your, here's your time. It's your time to decide. He says, it's time. He told me it's time. I had lived in the world as a Christian for five or six years of my life. And he's saying, it's time now. You decide what are you going to do. We have to be considered and weigh those things before we just blurt something out. God's dealing with us. He's dealing with us, with our lives. What are you going to do? And by the grace of God, He helped me submit to Him, surrender to Him, yield to Him, give it all to Him. And I, from that day till this day, I've not been the same person. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen? All things are, are, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Still have a long way to go in my sanctification, just like we all do, but I've not been the same person. It's important how we answer God, that we don't just throw something out there. Now, I want us to keep reading, if you're still in Genesis 3, what results did, what, how, did, how did Adam respond and what were the results of his response or his consequences? Genesis 3, 10 through 12. And he said, this is how he responded to God's question, where are you, Adam? I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said unto the woman, the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So what do we see? Verse, verse, uh, just passing the buck, passing the buck, shifting the blame. It's not what God was looking for, by the way. Adam sinned. We've all sinned, right? Is in Adam all sin uh, and all die and so forth? The Bible says that uh, what he's looking for and what he's looking for for Adam is, I have sinned. God have mercy. You understand? God, I have sinned. Oh Lord, forgive me. That's all he's looking for. Not looking for fig leaves. And he's certainly not lifting for, Lord, it's the woman that you gave me, by the way, to be my helpmate. It's really her fault. Woman, what have you done? Well, Lord, it's really the, the devil's fault. No. We need to own up to our own sin. There was, there was no, we see nothing in there Adam's reply, or Eve's reply, by the way, of confession, of contrition, of godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So therefore, we see no repentance. We see no plea for forgiveness. We see self-defense, excuses, and shifting the blame. What happened when David committed his great sin of, with uh, Uriah and Bathsheba? I acknowledged my sin unto thee. He didn't do it instantly, but he did do it. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity 
of my sins. Hallelujah. Were there consequences for David? Yeah, there were. Was he forgiven? Yes, he was. Was he restored to God completely with no shadow between him and the Lord? Yes, he was. He was restored. And there were consequences, and we'll read it just partially in verses 23 and 24 of Genesis 3. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. So he sent him out of the garden, this paradise of God, to till the ground from whence he was taken. And he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. There were consequences. He didn't answer God properly. And the Bible, not only consequences for Adam, but the Bible says, as in Adam, all die. It's very important how we answer the Lord. Amen? And, and to weigh those words and consider. I want us real quickly to look at, the, at Jonah. Jonah's another one. I want you to turn to Jonah chapter 3. Again, we don't have time to develop the whole story, but God sent Jonah, his prophet, to, to preach to uh, Nineveh, this great city of the Assyrians that was in all kinds of idolatry and sin and, and pronounced with judgment that's coming. Uh, and and uh, that in 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. That's what he sent him to preach. And so he preaches. And let's look at verses 10. Jonah 3.10. And God saw their work. So Jonah reluctantly, we know the whole story about the whale and everything. He's spit up on the beach after three days of being in the whale's belly. He reconsiders. He goes and preaches what God gave him to preach in Nineveh. It's a three days journey. Three days walk straight through the city. That's a big city. And he's preaching uh, that God's going to overthrow the city. And the people repented. He says, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that He said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. So we say, hallelujah. Another example, Old Testament. You see a New Testament, Old Testament of the mercy of God. doesn't mean everybody got born again. doesn't mean from this day forward they live for God. They certainly did not. There would come a judgment later upon them. But in this moment, at this preaching, at this message, at this prophecy from Jonah, that the fear of God came upon them. The king proclaimed a fast and they repented and turned. Okay? They humbled themselves before the Lord and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to not do that evil that I was pronouncing at that time. And He didn't. So we would say, what a victory, what a celebration. And let's keep reading. Okay? Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Think about that. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and great kindness and repentest thou of the evil, be of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, 
Take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord, then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So here's the question. Talking about don't be rash with your mouth. Let our words before the Lord be few. So God's asking him a question. Jonah, are you really, are you doing well? Are you doing right by being angry? that I spared this people of the judgment of God. And he didn't really think too much, obviously, before he spoke, or it didn't didn't sink in to the point where it should have sunk in. Let's keep reading verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under the, the, uh, the booth and sat under the shadow until the that he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and it came up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God asked him another question. Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on a gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? And the book just ends that way. He's asking him a question as far as we can see. Now, I don't know what happened after this. I'm not going to point a finger at, at Jonah, but just in the questions that God asked him, Jonah, are you really doing well? Is that a right of you? to be angry that I had mercy upon this great city of sinners. And he says, yeah, I do well to be angry. I do very well to be angry. I mean, think about it. Because Jonah, what I would gather, and I know I'm embellishing this, but I'm a God of mercy, Jonah. And you ought to have my heart for these people. You and I ought to have his heart. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Most people don't. Some do, and they're just in sheer rebellion. Most people don't know what in the world they're doing. They'll stand before God, and they won't know what in the world happened. God's a God of mercy. And we need to think before we answer. He needs to think, Jonah needed to think think before he answered. God wants the righteous to be spared. I mean, the, the wicked to be spared. Is he going to judge sinners? Absolutely. Will he judge them with a perfect justice and judgment? He will. And he'll judge nations. He'll judge people. He'll judge churches. He'll judge it. But his desire, he says, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. He tells us that in his word. Old Testament, by the way. Old Testament. 
that God says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but what is pleases him that the wicked turn from his way and live. And I'm simply saying, think before we speak. God was trying to impart some knowledge of himself to Jonah and say, Jonah, I'm a merciful God. Don't you see it? This is what pleases me. I'm merciful to you, Jonah. You understand that he's wanting him to see that. Yeah, I do well to be angry. We need to think before we speak. I want us to look at another life, Job. These are in no particular order, by the way. Just the way the Lord gave them to me. Job, I want you to turn to chapter 38. This book is the account or the story of Job is, is really fascinating to me. It really is. He was a contemporary of Abraham and um, just amazing life and testing. And I want you to pick up with me in Job 38, 1 through 8. So Job's going through this whole trial. We don't even have to go into the great losses that he suffered so quickly. But so I would suffice it to say, other than the Lord, we're not told of any man that ever was tested by the Lord to this degree. You say Abraham offering Isaac. Okay, but this is one of the greatest testings that we know of in the history of mankind. And so he goes through this testing and he doesn't understand what's going on. Uh, and God, and he has these friends that come to him that really weren't great friends. He said, you're miserable counselors and miserable comforters are you all and they really were they pointed the finger at Job and we should point the finger at ourselves but they were pointing at him incorrectly they were saying this has happened to you Job because of your sin you never help the widows and you don't help the poor people and you're this and that and the other and none of that was true none of that was true they were wrong it was a testing of God and they didn't know it Job didn't know it. It was behind the scenes. And we're allowed to see it when we read the Bible. Read this with me. Job 38, 1-8. So at the end of his testing, or coming to the end of his testing, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Because Job had said a lot of things up to this point during his testing. His friends had said a lot. Job had said a lot. And Job, now God's going to ask him a question. Gird up your loins now like a man. For I will demand of thee, and thou answer me. Where was thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare it if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who, who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had been issued, issued out of the womb? We'll just stop there. God continues to demand of Job and ask him. Chapter 40. Let's look at chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. 
Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contended with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And so God's asking Job. And all I can say to this is, wow, I just I can't imagine it. Before Job was tested, the Bible says of him that he was uh, a man that feared God and he was upright and perfect. Doesn't mean perfect and sinless. It means perfect in like mature and complete. Okay, he feared God. He shunned evil and he didn't understand what was going on. Job is just a person. He's on earth living his life. He's fearing God. He's shunning evil. He's he's offering sacrifices to the Lord. He's calling upon the Lord. And behind the scenes, Satan appears before the Lord and the Lord says, have you, have you considered my servant Job? Job's down here. And here's Satan saying, the Lord's saying to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God's about to test him like he's never been tested before. And God is going to bring him through and carry him through. And the Bible says, in all this, Job sinned not with his mouth. The Lord brought him through. But I want us to see Job's response to God's questions and his demands. Okay, I'm demanding of you now, Job. You've been questioning me. You know, you and your friends have been talking. Uh, And Job didn't sin, by the way, with falsely accusing God of something. He did wish himself never to be born and things like that. He was in grief. He grumbled and so forth. But he wasn't sinless. But he did. When God finally came to him, I I sometimes wonder how long this period was. I don't really know. Um, This testing period. But God comes to him and God speaks to him. And I want us to read chapter 40, verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm vile. First thing out of his mouth to the Lord. I would say Job got it. He got it. He understood it. He understood the Lord, the questions that he was being asked, the, the depth of it, the seriousness of it, the weight of it. And we're not to be rash with our words before the Lord. Hasty. Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer yea twice, but I will proceed no further. There's a humility. There's a contrition. There's a shutting the mouth that God, you're God and I'm not. And you can read a lot into this. Basically, you're the Lord. I'm not. You're in control. I'm not. I'm yielding to you, Lord. I'm submitting to you, Lord. Now, those words aren't written here, but you gather it from his speech. Verse 40, uh, chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all, everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have, have I uttered that I understood not. No, he's doing it, saying, even during my testing, all the things I said, I didn't understand what was going on. But he understands now that I didn't understand it when I was going through it. I I uttered things that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. 
Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes seeth thee. Wherefore I pour myself and repent in dust and ashes. I mean, you could preach, we could preach for weeks on this, just this right here. But the point is, he got it. He thought before he spoke. He's, he understood what God was asking him. It sunk in, so to speak. Let it sink in a little bit. Let it hit bottom. Don't just spurt something out of your mouth. Yeah, I'm wished I'm well, I do well to be angry like Jonah did. I'm not saying Jonah didn't later repent and, and you know, have a wonderful walk with the Lord. But we see it here with Job. And what was the result? Chapter 42, 10 through 12. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I'm just going to stop there for time's sake on, on Job. Thinking about how we answer the Lord. Just real quickly, I want to look at, at Peter. I'm skipping the fourth one. I'm going to the fifth one for this morning. I want you to turn me in your Bibles to, to John chapter 21. Uh, this time in the Gospel of John, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Third day He rose again. He appeared to His disciples. And this is one of His appearings uh, to His disciples. In John 25, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? We'll stop right there. Here's this question. Don't be rash with your words. Don't be hasty uh, when we're speaking before the Lord. And God, the Lord is asking him a question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Referring to the disciples. And he needed to think before he spoke. And I will say that apparently he didn't at first. He just thought what he spoke, what he thought. But by the third time, I think he got it. Okay? We need to examine our hearts. We do. When responding to God. You make any promise before the Lord. You ever made a promise to the Lord? I have. I don't think there's things wrong with making a promise before the Lord. But we sure need to think about it. Before we say it. Before we make some commitment to the Lord. To serve God. To give to the Lord. Uh, making a profession before God and before men. We need to think about it. So I want to keep reading in the second half of verse 15. Peter said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. I think it, it took three times. If it takes three times, God will do it three times. Amen? It takes 30. I think He'll do it 30. But this is what He was after. It says, And He said unto him, Lord, He was grieved because He asked, said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Doesn't that sound a lot like Job? You know all things, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Uh, 
it took this sinking in, so to speak. Think before you speak. Words have meanings. Words have consequences. They're not just gone out into space somewhere. Especially as a believer. Especially if I'm representing Christ, which we do at all times. Especially if I'm answering the God, the Lord Almighty, who is questioning me and talking to me. And I would simply say, and the Bible would say, have your heart filled with the Lord. And then speak from your heart. Amen? Have your heart filled with the, the Lord and then speak from your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's where it comes from. We can put on fake words and feigned words, but if we're speaking from the heart, not like a politician who appears to be speaking from the heart, but as believers, be filled with the Spirit of the Lord and then speak from your heart what you know to be true. And so the Bible says the heart of the wise, Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. That's a wonderful scripture. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. I thought that was a wonderful scripture. The heart of the wise. The Lord does that and he gives us godly wisdom and he fills us with his spirit. And I'm going to bring this to a close, but don't don't simply spout off. The Bible talks about considering. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So in, in, in bringing this to a close, we looked at four men, not five. The, the fifth, by the way, was Elijah. And I'm going to talk about his life more in, in some weeks ahead. But words don't just disappear. Words have weight to them. They have meanings uh, to them. And the Bible says that uh, I say unto you, Jesus said that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. You ever heard that scripture before? Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak. Idle simply means useless or barren. Okay, not necessarily sinful. And we'll give an account, which means we'll give a reason. We'll give a reason. That's what the Bible says. We'll give an account, therefore, in the day of judgment. Everything we speak. Now, everything before I came to Christ is under the blood, and I've asked God to forgive me. And every sin I've committed since then that I'm aware of, I've asked God for forgiveness of, and I, those are washed away. But I believe if we just go through life not thinking, we just talk a lot. We say things. It's, you ever been a conversation you just go a little too far? A little too far in something that's uh, uh, sinful or coarse, coarse jesting, or, or you go a little too far and you really you know this much, but you act like you know this much? I've done it before. It's pride. We do it. And we don't ask God to forgive us. We don't think it's a big deal. We're still going to heaven because we're Christians, but we'll give an account. I believe these would be like idle words. You're just spouting off and not really thinking about what you're saying. But the Bible says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And, and not just talk for the sake of talking. Consider, well, what do I consider before I speak? I consider the Lord. I consider heaven. I consider my words in light of a holy God. In light of Almighty God, I consider it what I'm going to say in the in light of the fact that I represent Him. 
and I'm his son, or you're his daughter, and we belong to the Lord, and we represent him. And so it's, it's and, and bringing this to a close, God, it's not that we don't speak. We do speak. But our speech is to be seasoned with salt, and our speech is to be with grace, and our speech is to be uh, uh, speaking the truth in love. When God questions us, like He did uh, Adam and, and Jonah and, and Peter and Job, and when He questions us, we need to consider and wait because there's something in the question that He's wanting us to learn from the question. Do you, do you really love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. No, Peter, do you really love me? And maybe what came back to Peter was that just a few days before he had denied the Lord. Maybe on the third time it clicked. I said I would die for him. I thought I would die for him. But he didn't die for him. He did later, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so forth. He was martyred for the Lord. But when he's in the question, there's something he's wanting to show us. Just listen. Think on it. Lord, you know all things. Show me my own heart. Show me myself. God's wanting to do two things when he asks us a question. He's wanting to show us himself. He's wanting to show us ourselves. And he wants us to see both clearly or at least more clearly and think before we speak. Maybe you can come up. Y'all, the altars are open. I'm closing with one, one scripture from Psalm 19, verse 14. If you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable where? On political platforms, among the guys at work? No, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Just being wise, amen, with our words. Not that we're speechless and can never say anything or have fun talking. Just understand and consider, especially when speaking to the Lord or some promise or great thing we're going to do for the Lord. Think about it and ask God to show us our own selves and then humbly give it all to Him. And then answer the Lord like Job. Love the way the Lord spoke to Job. And I love the way the Lord touched Job's heart and opened his eyes. And then he responded back. And God gave him twice as much in the end as he had before. It's an amazing thing. But Father, we come before you. And we come to these altars. Now the, the altars open. And God, I want to just pray, Lord. I know that I've spoken idle words, vain words, useless words. I know that in my life I have been hasty and rash with my mouth. And you can't just reel the words back in. People have been hurt. My testimony's been hurt by things I've said. Trying to be a little clever, a little cute. Trying to to go uh, show that I know a little more than I know. And it's not honoring to you, God. I pray that you would help us as a people to not be hasty or rash with our mouths, with our words. That we would consider 
our high priest and apostle of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we speak. I pray we would speak with wisdom. I pray our speech will be governed by the Holy Spirit. I pray we would speak out of the abundance of our heart, and I pray that our hearts would be filled with Jesus and with the Spirit of the Lord. But that's what comes out of us when we speak, whether we speak a lot or a little, when we speak, that it would be, our speech would be seasoned with salt and with grace, and we would speak wise words by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.